offer personal finance classes in in many high schools. That is my that is my understanding, and it's too bad because the way that most of us have to learn about personal finance is the hard way. And then of course we don't see it as personal finance. We see it as as money, maybe money coming out, uh, going out, maybe money coming in. Uh, we don't particularly understand the relationship to it uh, and society. We just know that if we don't have money, then we don't get the things that we want. And if we do have money, then we get the things that we want. Uh, <clears throat> we're also under this belief that uh, those who have a lot of money have lots of really, really nice stuff. And those who don't have a lot of money don't have really nice stuff. And uh, I could make a case for both of those being true and both of those being untrue. But I think the most important thing that people need to learn in finance or in anything else is that everything that we do is a trade-off. Let me explain. First of all, thank you for being here. On the fire you can't put out. My name is Melvin. Uh, I appreciate you so much uh, for being here. Uh, episode number 340. We are uh, officially several weeks into spring. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that everybody's here. We are off next week. Um, I've got uh, more than a few DJ appearances that I have to prep for, that I have to be at. So if you're looking for me next week, you ain't going to find me. But a lot of y'all folks are on spring break anyway, and you shouldn't be listening to, to Melvin during your spring break. Go do something fun. Anyway, so let's talk trade-offs. So uh, at, in my home, I, I'm teaching my own about finance. Um, all of the things that I, I wish had been told to me. And one of the easiest ways it was for me to explain it to myself once I, I got a grasp of, of what money is, um, how you come by it, how you, how'd you, how you budget for it, um, the wages in the workforce, uh, taxes, and all these other things that I really didn't anticipate. I remember my first job and thinking, I was like in high school, and I didn't get the job. It was paying, like, I think I was paying five bucks an hour. It wasn't anything. But I remember thinking, oh my goodness, five dollars an hour, right? And then I'm gonna work eight hours a day. I'm gonna make 40 bucks. I go, yo, now understand, I came from poverty. You go, yo, I'm at 40 dollars. Yeah, I tell you what, what I'm gonna do with my 40 dollars, man. I'm gonna buy me a house, I'm gonna buy me a car. <laughs> I knew I had to save, of course, but I think, oh, on that, if I work, if I work five days a week, well, that's two hundred dollars. Holy, wow, two hundred dollars! If I work for a whole month, you know, oh my God, I'm gonna be rich, which obviously didn't didn't pan out. Uh, I, I I landed that five dollar an hour job once I got old enough, and then I got my first check after two weeks. Uh, of which I grossed uh, $400 uh, for a two-week check. It's insane to think about now, you know, but this is many, many moons ago, uh, 22, 24 years ago, somewhere in that neighborhood, and I got that first check, grossed $400. All right! And I took home 300 Oh, my God, somebody is going to die. You know, and I, I, I swear, and I feel like I've told this story before, I swear I called a bitch on our block, and I go, what, what is this? What is this? Y'all need to give him my money back. Like, they didn't take it. The feds took it. The state took it, you know. Y'all need to give him my money back. I need my money now. I don't make enough money. Y'all got to, 
look, look, I'm a reasonable man, H&R Block. I'll take a check, of which they looked at, I looked at my pay stub, and they were very nice about it. Um, and they, you know, they didn't charge me for my, for the time or anything. Uh, they heard the distress in my voice and they realized that this, this young punk just got out on his own and doesn't realize how things work. So let's educate him a little bit. And they go, yeah, you know, state and federal and, you know, FICA and all these other things. Yeah. They, they took 25% of your check and you're 18 years old, not married. Um, you have no dependents. Uh, yeah, you, you. You pay for everything. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't understand what the hell that means. And they go, well, uh, people under 25, especially if you're unmarried and have no dependents, you're the folks that pay for everything. I never got that line out of my head. And so when I went to buy something, I go, okay, like $5 an hour, this pizza that I want to buy tonight for me and my girlfriend or whatever, you know, it cost me $10. So that's going to cost me two hours of my labor two hours. What the hell did I do for two hours? You know, I swept floors and I, I cleaned a grease trap and I made some burritos or, or whatever. And I go, and I did that for two hours to get this pizza. Huh? And of course my rent was $300 a month, which sounds like a bargain now. But back then I was like, that's two weeks. So, so two weeks I work for nothing, but just the, the roof over my head. I come I come home every night to this apartment that is the roof over my head. And then I, I go to work and I come back to the roof that I'm paying for. Okay. And then the other $300. So I didn't make enough money to live. I ended up living with somebody and obviously the rest is history. But I remember thinking about things. and I started thinking about things in those terms and that uh, I didn't have any money to save. But I knew that kind of knowledge was eventually going to become very helpful when budgeting. You know, thinking about... If something costs X dollars, you make X dollars per hour. You probably net X dollars per hour. And then here's how many of, of your of your hours of your life that you gave up so you could attain this thing. When you think about it like that, it puts it in very stark terms that makes you not want to do really anything and uh, hold on to everything you have. Um, then I came up with a better way to explain it, a trade-off. Everything that you do is... A trade-off. I give you some of this labor. You give me this money that I turn into this particular thing. Everything is a trade-off. And I said, uh-huh. And the thing that they're trading off is a finite thing. It's, it's, it's money, but it's not necessarily finite to them as, uh, as a large corporation. I was worked for a large corporation back then. Uh, but my thing, uh, so my thing that my time... My time is very finite. I am not going to live forever. This corporation could live several hundred years uh, and come and come by untold amounts of money. So and they're and they're still not giving me very much, but I'm giving them something absolutely irreplaceable with my time. And I need to be compensated better for my time. And I ended up going on a on a bit of a journey. To try to find whatever it took for me to start getting paid better for my because I knew that we lived in a capitalist system, and I knew that I needed to make the money, and so I jumped from job to job, from place to place, just sort of chasing that paycheck. Um, but look, but that whole but that whole trade off thing, thinking about that, 
that's the thing that made me think about things in different enough terms that I was ready to make some major changes. And I've arrived at a place in my life now where I don't give up as much of my time in order to get that, you know, I'm not giving up as much of my finite resource um, in order to get their finite, their finite resource, which is money, which is, which is how I survive and how my wife, you know, how my dependents survive. I found a better way to do it because I realized that wasn't going to be sustainable. Uh, eventually, I was probably going to work too much, you know, and, and being, being a consumer is a problem in and of itself. Uh, and, you know, too many hours and I'm just going to live at work and I'm going to die at work and I just can't have this. So I, I, I found a way to make a change. Now, I know that not everybody's able to do this and it takes a certain degree of resourcefulness in order to make this happen. Um, so, you know, if you don't, if you don't find it, don't, don't give up and there's nothing wrong with you. I mean, it took me several decades to where I finally got to a place to where I'm not giving up as much of my time uh, for that, for that particular resource. You know, I think about the fact that I used to make 600 bucks in a, in a month now, um, and 20 years later, I do one gig and I'm far away, far and above. Like I make more in a day now than I used to make in a month. So that's a, that's a good scale to be moving up on. Now, once again, I don't take it all home. Uncle Sam still takes about 20 to 25%. But when I think what it used to take me a month to make that, it takes me a day to make that now, you know, and I don't work every day, then that, that, that's a, that's a very different thing, but that's a, that's a far more comfortable place to be. Every single thing is a trade-off. Okay. So let me move into this other thing. Um, are you familiar with PFAs? You ever heard this this acronym before? Uh, I'm not going to get into the long, drawn out what the acronym stands for, but they're often referred to as forever chemicals. And this is to say uh, that they um, there's two ways to think about it. They either will never ever break down, or by the time they break down, because they do last so long in the environment. The, there's not going to be any humans left on the planet. And that and that came into sharp focus this week. And it got me thinking again about the trade-offs. So the headline over at The Guardian uh, goes like this. Plummeting sperm counts. We're about to get, we're about to get real blue right now so you can get the kids out of the room. Uh, plummeting sperm counts and shrinking penises. You, you heard me say that. Uh, toxic chemicals threaten humanity, and the article was written, and this is one of the, I mean, the headline itself is enough. Like that right there, I'm going to read this, I got to know what the hell this says. But then it, it got me because this, I wasn't reading this in some blog or some social media site or some wackadoodle that's just trying to get some, some clickbait or some headlines or whatever. The article is by... Aaron Brockovich. And I said, oh my God. If you're familiar with that name, you should be. Uh, there was a very famous movie made, of, you know, a big gigantic movie made about her uh, back during the 90s where she was played by Julia Roberts. And she's, she's an environmentalist, you know, and she's taken all these large polluting corporations to court before. Um, and sometimes she's even won. So I said, okay, okay. Well, 
Aaron, and, and Aaron Brockovich isn't isn't necessarily doing the research herself. She, like most of the rest of us, is leaning on science for these particular things. So Shanna Swan is an environmental and reproductive epidemiologist at the ICANN School of Medicine in Mount Sinai in New York. And according to her own research, sperm counts are down 60% since 1973. And she anticipates, and this is, this is, this is an expectation, so this could play out earlier or, or later, or even much later, depending on the decline of counts. But she says that sperm counts could be zero. Zero by 2045. We're not that far out. That's another 24 years. Uh, I'll be in my 60s. Uh, my kids will be in their 30s, going into their 40s. Like, And they'll still be in what could be uh, a relatively fruitful time in their life. Uh, or, or, or maybe not. Um, so if you're curious what PFAs are, uh, these, they're these, they're these forever chemicals and they're, they're, they're a hardener. And so you find them in plastic containers and food wrappers, uh, waterproof clothing. Sometimes you find them in soaps, uh, shampoos, electronics, carpeting. You, you almost can't get away from these things because they're in everything. And because of the the loose laws that we have around these particular chemicals, you don't even know that these things, that you're being exposed to these things and that these things are getting into your body. And what they're doing in your body is they're interrupting your reproductive system. So any living organism on earth has one objective, one, survive. This is why when you cut yourself, your skin heals. This is why your immune system, you know, will, will go into overtime when, you, when you're not feeling so well because it's, it's trying to keep you alive. Your digestive system that breaks down and, and takes in your nutrients, it's to keep you uh, alive. Um, you'll notice that folks with um, more, more pigment in their skin, more melanin in, in their skin, tend to come from sunnier areas of the world. Uh, Mexico, uh, Africa, uh, islands, you know, where, places where they get a lot of sun, they have a lot more melanin in their skin. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a protective measure for them. And it's to block out, to, because there's so much sun there, it's to block out some of that sun. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of Europe is very, very cloudy, very cold, because it is north. And that's, that's how you end up with this fluorescent skin color. So the body does all these very adaptive things in order to keep you alive. And obviously the reason we have <clears throat> biological urges is because, uh, you know, and it's nice <laughs> sometimes, I suppose. But the real reason you have them is not because it's time to go have sex and have a good time. The real reason that you have them is because your body is saying, hey, you need to make more people because we need to survive. We have to keep the species alive. And with these chemicals leaching into our system, it's directly affecting our reproductive system. So for men, it's cutting sperm counts. And you go, well, I'm sorry, but I thought I would just say something about shrinking penises. I did. I absolutely did. Uh, and you go, well, I, I don't understand why that's shrinking. Well, 
because that is a delivery system. And if you have nothing to deliver, then that delivery system is going to go away. And you go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, Melvin, Melvin. I'm a dude. I have to pee. And I say this to you. Ladies don't have it. And they pee. We're just all going to be walking around as wienerless wonders. And eventually there will be no humans left. You say, Mel, I don't understand how we went from, you know, talking about trade-offs to this. And this is where the two stories collide. Without our knowledge, and because we have decided to become completely disconnected from our own democratically elected governments and to allow corporations to buy our governments. A lot of the deals that happen right now are what they refer to as under the dome. So there's generally two ways that you can get things done if you're lobbying for a particular thing and you're a corporation. One of them is appealing directly to people and saying, you know, you, 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 have, you get together all your dark money, you run these ads, you know, you say things that aren't true, you get everybody believing things that aren't true, and then when politicians try to do something a bit about that particular thing, well, all of a sudden, you know, opinions have shifted on that particular thing, and those politicians see that and they hear that and they go, okay, we won't do that particular thing. And that's not anything to do with what you really think or feel. You saw some television ads that came from dark money groups and you believe them, you went to your politician, and then they listen. And the other way these things get done is what's referred to as under the dome. And that refers to state houses, and that refers to Capitol Hill. And that's where they realize they can't come to you because there's not a big enough line of BS that they're going to be able to build in order to get you to believe this particular lie that they want you to believe. So the way they're going to get it done is going to the state houses directly and just buying off your politicians and getting it this way. We have a really terrible habit, not just in this country, but in just about any industrialized nation where we don't like listening to our scientists. We've seen this in disaster movies. We've seen it in real life. We saw it just recently during the coronavirus. We don't want to listen to our scientists. And why? Why don't we want to listen to our scientists? It's because they're telling us things we don't want to believe that are incredibly hard to hear. P, uh, the, the, the PFAs are not a new problem. And it's not new science. And we've known for a long time how bad these things were. We knew that they were going to interrupt our reproductive systems. And we knew that over time, uh, it was going to potentially lead to no more humanity. And we decided that that's okay. So politicians know the trade-off for them. They know that it's not just going to be you and I that are extinct. It's going to eventually be them too that are extinct. There's not enough money that can buy you existence. But they decided that there was a good that that, that was a fine trade-off. They get lots and lots of money now by by using these cheap PFAs 
in, uh, in plastics and in plastic wrappers and water bottles and, and soaps and shampoos. They get to use these really cheap things right now and they get to make all this money right now, but they know the trade-off is going to come later when we're unable to produce people anymore and they decided that that was okay. And we, whether we like to admit it or not, we decided that that, that was also a very fair trade-off. They get to do whatever they want. They get to make as much money as they want. We deal with all the externalities and eventually humanity gets wiped out. Now, I don't think that when PFAs first came around, folks are thinking to themselves, won't it be great when humanity is wiped out? But you don't get to pretend that it's never going to happen when we've known damn near from day one that these things interrupt the reproductive system. The average 20-something today is less fertile than her grandmother was at 35 years old. So it's, and it's not just happening to men, it's also happening to the women. So what can we do? The trade-offs in life hit us all the time. We don't tend to think about them that way. But they do. So what can we do about this? Well, is this a potentially reversible thing? Yes, I think that it is. But we needed to stop using PFAs yesterday. Uh, and the next best day would be today. And a slightly less good day would be tomorrow. And so we have to demand, we have to educate ourselves about these particular things that are being put into all these consumer products that are doing us irreparable, and it's irreparable, that are doing us irreparable harm. You have to talk to your politicians and you have to demand that they find something else. Uh, it's become fashionable as of late. Uh, for straws to be made out of paper uh, and for plastic bags to be banned because we've realized that those things are a huge problem because, you know, for that for that one time we brought groceries home in a plastic bag, the thing that we give up for that is the dead birds or the or the strangled fish or the, you know, or whatever else in the ocean ju that just gets effing destroyed, you know, of course or the ocean being turned into a gigantic garbage dump, we realize that that's the trade-off for being able to drink out of a plastic water bottle once, for being able to bring home groceries once. Well, then you start wiping out birds, you know? And then, of course, those chemicals, when it's not the, the threat of the plastic bag or the plastic cap itself, well, then, of course, those things leach into the water and affect those animals in other ways, too. So the best thing is going to be you have to start contacting your politicians and you have to stop voting for politicians that don't believe in science. The scientists have told us <laughs> and there's no reason that we shouldn't have believed them. And now that it's happening, we I feel like we don't have a choice but to believe them. And you say, well, about it. So does this mean that eventually... The entire planet will be wiped out. Mm, probably, but the science behind this uh, goes a little bit deeper. So the Verify group did a segment about this, and it turns out that no, it's not the entire world. It's the Western world.
And by the way, most of y'all listening to me are in the Western world. If you're in the United States, you're in the Western world. So yes, these chemicals are far more prevalent here and are doing much more damage here. And why is that? Because we have decided that that's a fair trade-off and that that is okay. There are plenty of countries where these things are banned. But in the United States, we decided, no, that's just fine. No more babies after 2040. And babies are so awesome. My babies are all grown up now. I got baby fever. I can't have no more babies. And it's not because of PFAs. It's because of other things. Uh, but babies. I can't imagine a world without babies. And so if, if you want to save the babies, and everybody calls themselves pro-life, should want to save the babies. If you really want to save the babies, we have to join most of the rest of the civilized world in getting rid of these kinds of chemicals and be very, very mindful of the things that we're putting into our body. Just because it's put onto the market doesn't mean that it's safe for us. Let's talk about another trade-off. Um, I've only got a few more minutes left with you. Effectively, this, in, this entire uh, episode is going to be environmental. So um, uh, the world became recently um, enamored with flushable wipes. Sorry, I probably should warn you, the entire show is going to be blue. And by blue, I mean we're trying to save the ocean. Um, so these are the things that people do that are more like baby wipes, but they're for adults. And, um, you know, they don't break up like uh, like bath tissue does. And, and of course, they're moist. So people, people like them a little bit more on their bums. Um, and they've been a problem for a long time because even though they say that they're flushable, they're not supposed to be flushed. Um, at, a, at a water treatment plant, uh, I read an interview recently with somebody who said, yes, sure, they're flushable, but so are some of your children's toys. It doesn't mean that you should be flushing them. But, but corporations uh, have, once again, decided to um, internalize all the profits and externalize all the costs. So what happens to these flushable wipes after they get flushed? And I promise I'm not going to get too gross here. But um, after you know going through the pipes and everything, it and it ends up at the at the waste at the wastewater treatment plant, um, and that's if that's if it doesn't clog the pipes on the way to the wastewater treatment plant. And when it arrives on the other end, uh, it tends to clog the machines. A lot of the times, it tends to break the machines, and then it shuts down the wastewater treatment plant. Um, on a good day. Uh, they get a whole lot of these wipes in a pile, and you know what they do with them? They don't flush them. They have to bring in a dumpster, and they have to throw them away, and that's an added cost for you as a person that has to pay for your municipal water system. Um, that's, a, that's a good day, and on a bad day, it breaks the equipment, and it takes them hours or days to clean out the equipment, get the equipment back online, and do you know who pays for that? You pay for that. Not the schmucks who decided to sell you these wipes and call them flushable. Uh, you pay for that. The, the people who sold them to you decided that the, that the trade-off of lying to you about this particular thing was just fine. And then they know that you're going to pay for it in the end, so to speak. And then, of course, you, probably without doing your research and just trusting what the label says went ahead and flushed these things and when and when a whole bunch of them back up a system 
It's called, this is a really gross word, you can plug your ears, it's called a fatberg, F-A-T-B-R-G, fatberg. And these things are clogging up cities all over the place. And in this, in this, we've known about this for years, but it came into really sharp contrast recently. Why? Because of the pandemic, with everybody staying home, and of course, the country running out of toilet paper every so often, um, folks started buying more of these things. And they, if you use the bathroom in public, you generally won't find these things. Use the bathroom at your house, it's tough to get toilet paper. And so a whole hell of a lot more of these things got flushed. Uh, and it's, it's a massive, massive and very costly problem. But... Everything that we do, as I stated, is a trade-off. The corporations have decided that they are fine with this particular trade-off. You need to decide that you're not fine because when your water bill goes up or your sewer bill goes up, and yeah, they're billed separately in my county, um, and they're almost completely equal right now. And they go, man, they're charging me for the water that comes in. They're charging me almost exactly the same for the water that goes out. Well, it's probably because... People are clogging up the systems and they're having to pay to fix them uh, every week, every couple weeks, or every month. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't like putting your hand in your buck rack, that's just fine. But get a bidet. I get it. And we have to think about these things before we do them. And we have to decide, is the trade-off really worth it? Okay, okay. One more thing. And then I have to go. All right. Um, so I just, I got my second vaccine pretty recently. Yay. Feeling good. Um, not feeling sick from, I've heard about some folks after they have the second one tend to maybe have a bad day or two. It doesn't mean that it's not going to happen to me, but it's not happening to me at this point. Um, and if it happens, hopefully it happens soon so that I can just get over with it. But, but I'm feeling good. It's it's a lot of it's a lot of weight right off my shoulders just by by getting it, and I, and I and I feel good because the science is telling us now that you're far less likely to contract it yourself. You're far less likely to contract it and give it to other people. I protected myself. I protected those around me, those that I come in contact with, and I feel really, really, really good about that. But there is a group of folks who does not feel very good about that. And they feel like this is the end of the world for them. And oh my goodness grace. So the Libertarian Party, the Libertarian Party of the United States of America uh, has a chapter in every single state. They have one big national chapter, uh, a couple groups that are Libertarian that are not the official Libertarian Party. And of course, Libertarian Party of Kentucky and California and all these other. And libertarians, if you don't know, uh, a pretty simple way to think about them. So those are the so the Republicans are effectively Republicans, right? Like Rand Paul is a Republican, but he's also a libertarian. Um, those are the Republicans that want to legalize drugs and prostitution. Otherwise, everything else that they believe uh, falls strictly right, like right in line with what the Republican Party believes. And the Libertarian Party decided this week um, to share their thoughts about. The vaccine uh, proof. So uh, eventually you're going to need vaccine proof to fly or maybe even attend school or maybe even attend your job. So there's going to be a system showing who got the vaccine uh, and who didn't. And it's not about it's not about anything else other than just making sure we know 
what people are wearing, what people could be potentially spreading around this this deadly illness. But the Libertarian Party decided that um, to call the proof of vaccination the Star of David. And they said, when are we going to have to start pinning the Star of David to our jackets? Because that's all this proof of vaccines is. My God, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not dealing with adults when I'm dealing with the Libertarian Party, and so obviously it's gross on its face because the star of stop it this is not Nazi Germany. Okay, we've we're, we're being vaccinated. You know, we're we're being cared for. We're not going to be charged for the vaccination or, or sometimes the aftercare that comes with it or or the, or the testing. And, and they're trying to keep us all alive and you effing people because you're such professional victims are citing the Holocaust. Uh, to the Libertarian Party, I just want to say uh, congratulations. Um, this is It's now been zero days. Zero days since you've said something completely uh, oblivious, uh, stupid, uh, dumb, uh, boneheaded. I don't even know where to go with you folks. And stop, ladies and gentlemen. Please stop. Stop electing libertarians. Apropos to what I said earlier, a lot of these are the same folks that do not believe in science. Stop it. Science rules. You do not, libertarians. All right, that's it. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to leave you alone for a week. Uh, Thank you for being here on the fire you can't put out. Questions, comments, hate mail, just a general statement or inquiry, you can email us at tfycpo at gmail.com. We work hard to not only inform and entertain, but also keep an open dialogue with you, our listener base. So feel free to reach out to us. And as always, thank you for listening. We're the fire you can't put out, and we will prevail, reject an austerity in favor of prosperity. Special thanks to Kevin for producing, and thank you for listening. This is Melvin signing off now that I have woke you up. Good morning.